so patient and uh, accommodating with the seat, especially you for having a little climbing adventure. <laughs> um, so tonight we um, have Alice, Alice Quick, who's going to talk to us about fauness. Um, and with that, yeah, I'll pass you over to Alice. Thank you so much. It's, um, it's a real honour to be here and to be talking to you all. And I hope you get some enjoyment out of this talk. We'll be talking about fullness and his fluid limbs and how he sort of merges and appears in different guises and different times. So I'll be taking you back to begin with to a time when Norfolk was wetter, marshier, the rivers were longer and wider, the wash came further in and Caister-by-the-Sea was an island. So very watery Norfolk. We will be leaping across into Suffolk and a little bit into Essex as well. But we are mainly dealing with the Icaney land. Before we talk about our fullness in Norfolk, I will introduce you to the empiric themes of fullness, the Roman themes, and then the themes with Pan. So fullness is the god of the forest, plains and fields. His grandfather was time itself, Saturn, and his father was Picus, the woodpecker. He was the god of prophecy, and it's either said that either Circe turned him into a woodpecker for rejecting her advances, or in one myth they married, and she turned, he turned into Picus, and she turned into Picker. So Faunus is the king of the Latins deified. He had oracles at three sites in Italy, the Tiber, the Albunia, and the Aventine Hill, where people would be lying on a sacrificed lamb fleece to get prophetic dreams. And this comes further in into when he comes to Norfolk. His name can either come from the proto-Italic merciful or favourable, or the Proto-Indo-European, the stranger in relation to the wolf. His followers were the fauns and fauni, who were the genus loci of the landscape and the land, who were later Hellenised into the satires and the followers of Dionysus. Faunus is also known as Innus, which is supposed to be rude, <laughs> when he is in his skies as Innes, he makes the cattle fertile. And by the 3rd and 2nd centuries before Common Era, Greek mythology heavily influenced the Roman mythology, and Faunus starts to gain pans, hoofs, horns, and hairy legs. And later on, during the Christian periods, the time between Roman and Christian periods, he starts to merge Sylvanus and Selenus. There are festivals associated with him, probably most famously the 13th of February, so the precursor to Valentine's Day, where they had the Lupercalia, where people would run round, boys would run round in sacrificed goat skins with goat whips and whipping people for fertility. And then on the 15th, at the Tiber Island Temple, there'd be the Fornalia, which was when the high and the mighty offered to Faunus. 
us mere peasants had the 5th of December to worship him, where we could be jolly, give advice and offerings and to dance away the evening. Fullness, as well as Pan, accompanies Dionysus Bacchus to India, and we'll come to this theme later on. But we'll go to Pan, because I think we're most, we most know of Pan, we think of Faunus as Pan, because he has gained these attributes. And I'm sure a lot of people here have heard the great god Pan is dead, but whether that was what was actually heard, we don't know. It might have been Pan Megas Tethneki, the all-great Tumas is dead. Tumas was a fertility god who died yearly just to rise again. Or the other saying which you might have heard was Pan Ho Megas Tethneki, so similar, and that is great god Pan is dead. So Pan's father is Hermes in the Greek mythology. And obviously in the Roman mythology, Hermes is Mercury. And this is quite important when we think of Faunus later on in the Norfolk landscape. He had a child called Ajax, who was his daughter with Echo, and she is called upon for love magic. Pan and the Near Eastern goddess Kaibeli were worshipped in Boeotia, which is the part of Greece north of Athens. Pan didn't really have temples dedicated to him. He had caves and grottoes, the most famous being the north side of the Acropolis. But he did have a sh shrine in Egypt, in Edfu, which was sacred to the Egyptian god Horus. And again, we will see this filter on later on when Faunus comes to Norfolk. As well as other deities, which I've mentioned just briefly, being Sylvanus and Selenius. So Faunus in Norfolk, magically speaking, he's always been here. He's part of the landscape, whether he is horned or antlered god. We see him in the Icani coins. So I've got a picture of the wolf one right at the very top here. And I've got some little replicas which people can have a look at, which show a head. And the head of the coins has a vegetation god. His, his hair is the wheat itself. <coughs> so when Faunus came to Norfolk, he gained these attributes of the Icani god. And if you think back to Faunus and one of his names being the Stranger, it could be that after the Boudican revolt, it was diplomatic to introduce this deity of the Latins, the, the ancestor of all the Latins, the ancestor of Romulus and Remus. And luckily, he linked in well with the wolf and vegetation god they already had. Norfolk is quite unique for Romano-Celtic deer finds. In the top here, we have a wonderful antler, little bronze antler, which was found at Postwick-cum-Witten. 
and it's quite unusual. Sort of Norfolk is nearly one of the only places in Great Britain where you find uh, Roman deer pieces. Um, you do find a few more in Lincolnshire, um, but also with deers in Norfolk, you have a site uh, in, Nor in Attleborough and also Sea Pauling. On the board here as well, we have some beautiful deer brooches. Now, deer brooches aren't unique to Norfolk, but this one's rather special. <laughs> this one was found at Hockwold, and again, we'll travel back to Hockwold later, but I will just say... Hockwold is a marvel, and urns were found buried beneath red deer antlers. So Faunus and the Lord of Norfolk has always been an antlered or horned god. If we leap back a bit further, we're going to take a goat leap back further, and we're going to go to the Neolithic. Unfortunately, there's no picture on here of it, but in the wonderful Mildenhall Museum, they have a whole room of flints. So if you're a flint nerd, it's amazing. <laughs> and in that room, there's a beautiful wooden cabinet. And in the top, uh, top of that cabinet, in the corner, there's what's called a tribrach flint. Now, these are very rare. You find some really unusual and very well-worked examples. Uh, only three are known. One of the Isle of Wight, one in Basingstoke, and a broken piece which is owned by the Museum of London. I should also point out, point out that this tribac flint is owned by Sidney Ford, and some people might know who Sidney Ford is, but you will, you will hear he is famous for his one of his discoveries. But yes, he, he was a great flint collector and this tribac flint is like a horned flint with a third piece coming down. That third piece would have been bound onto a pole and it's thought that it processed and it either represented deer or a cow. Now we'll jump back into sort of the late Roman period and to the most famous treasure associated with Faunus and that is the Thetford treasure. It was found very close to Fison Way. A lot of people probably travelled past it quite often because that's where the industrial estate is. <laughs> Famous for the industrial estate. But if you go into the industrial estate and you go to the coach works, that field there is what used to be the Fison Way temple complex, which is actually a late Iron Age and early Roman temple which was dismantled pretty soon after the Boudicin revolt either because it was such an important temple the Romans wanted to make sure there was no trace of it. If it was burnt there would still be a trace of it so it's either dismantled by them or it was dismantled by the tribal elders so the Romans couldn't do anything to it. But yes, a couple of hundred years later at Fison Way again, this treasure was buried, and in this treasure, it's a whole, it's almost like the 12 days of Christmas, but I'm going to read it out. <laughs> it is 33 spoons, three strainers, 22 gold rings, four gold bracelets, four neck pendants, five gold chains, two necklace clasps, 
one golden amulet, one carved gem, four beads, one gold buckle, and a shale box beautifully turned with an ammonite in the base of it. Now this time capsule was discovered in 1979 and it was discovered by Arthur and Greta Brooks. And I should mention it's called the Thetford Treasure and it is bison way but it's more so people don't associate it with the industrial estate. It's better known as Gallows Hill. Now unfortunately because there's a road you don't really notice the hill so much but if you go from the industrial estate into the town, even though there's lots of roofs, you get much more of an idea of how high it is compared to everywhere else in the surrounding area. So it's beautiful contents. Here, I'm hoping the majority of people can see my most favourite piece is this gorgeous ring, which has two woodpeckers either side. So it symbolises Faunus's father, Picus. There's also rings, which I don't think I've got pictured here, which also do have little Faunus heads on them. This is the little gold amulet here. And this is a shale box. And this beautiful buckle here has a golden satire holding his grapes with the buckle very Ikenian with the horses either holding a pine cone or the Orphic egg. Many of the spoons associated with this treasure. There's a replica here, which actually I could probably hand round so people can see. There's a panther inside this one. Okay. Um, there's photos as well. Some of them have got tritons, but there's a beautiful panther. But on the handles, Eight of them had the name of Faunus and his associated cult names. My most favourite ones are Faunus Flotagus, which is the one which I call him by the most, as it means blooming, rain to the earth, and the bigger picture, the god who irrigates the forests, plains and fields. There's Faunus Narius, meaning knowledgeable and well-informed. Faunus Acusus, to cut. Faunus Cranus, the horn-wearer. Faunus Medigenus, generating fear, or maybe me begotten. Faunus Saturnus, giver of plenty, sower of seeds, or was it in honour of his grandfather, Saturn? And also Faunus Andicrones, which means unwilted and evergreen. Others of the 22 spoons had names probably of his cultic worshippers and they had their names specially inscribed on the spoons and we have names like Silviola, Primogenia and Ingenius. There are several couple of hundred years thereabouts between this beautiful treasure find and the Fison Way Temple. But it's worth wondering and musing whether the hill was so sacred that people remembered the god who was in the old Icani temple and the new Roman god who is so similar in his attributes of field 
and wolf and being on this sacred hill which are very much associated then as it is now for sitting out and prophetic dreams. Of course Stepford doesn't have just one hill, it has a few hills actually. The other hill which we do know is Castle Hill which is which is actually a Norman Motton Bailey but the Normans built it within the Iron Age ring fort. Local folklore says it was made when the devil scraped his boot after finishing the dike at Wheating. And on the Iron Age ramparts, there's a place called the Devil's Hole, which fills with water and you can scry and get prophetic visions from it. I haven't found it recently, but as a child, I used to run along there quite a lot, so I'm sure at one point I have seen it. <laughs> But it's also worth wondering whether this folklore came about because an ancient find was found in the Iron Age ring fort which showed fauness or a satire and the people who unearthed them thought this must be the devil, this is the devil's land. For we are not the only ones who have, buried, who have unearthed what has been buried and then wondered. We are going to take a leap with fullness and we're going to go to Hoxton and Hoxton is just here so it's just over the border into Suffolk and this beautiful tigress handle was one of the treasures found at Hoxton. Interestingly enough there was a beautiful empress pepper pot as well as an ibex and obviously the ibex was sacred to pan and fullness in Greece and Italy. The Hoxton treasure was found in 1992 by metal detectorist Eric Laws and it dates to around the late 4th and early 5th century. So by this time of the late 4th century, Faunus, Pan, Dionysus and Sylvanus very much merged in their symbolism. And with their mingling and with Christianity on the rise, this time we've had Constantine, but during this time as well, we do also have Julian the Apostate who brings back paganism. <clears throat> but it is during this time we also see the emergence of the Mildenhall treasure, which was buried, and Mildenhall's just there. And again, this has the images of Bacchus Dionysus, Faunus Pan, Selenus as well. It's also worth noting that with the Mildenhall treasure, we use the Roman name for Bacchus, so it's Bacchus Dionysus, but we use the Greek word Pan for Faunus. When because Faunus and Pan's imagery has so merged at this time, even we get confused. <laughs> we get confused and because throughout time they have been merged and mingled and intertwined. So yes, the wonderful Mildenhall treasure is 4th century. It was found actually not in Mildenhall, it was found in West Row. And I think there's a big debate, West Row sort of want it to be called the West Row treasure <laughs> rather than the Mildenhall treasure. And it was discovered in 1942 whilst ploughing by... Gordon Butcher. 
And funny enough, he worked for Sidney Ford of the Wonderful Flint Collection. <laughs> he loved his archaeology to Sidney Ford. But he, he sort of looked at this and he sort of thought, maybe it's pewter. And he kept it in his home and he actually used it. This amazing treasure trove. He would take the platters out and he would use it and he would use the spoons as well. <laughs> and it was only in 1946 when a friend of his came along and sort of thought, hmm, I think that's Roman silver. <laughs> that Sydney suddenly thought he'd better let the authorities know. And soon after, the British Museum purchased. <laughs> He didn't get the full finder's fee because he was naughty and didn't let the authorities know sooner. He would have been a very, very rich man. <laughs> so in this amazing treasure, there are 34 pieces of silverware, all highly Bacchic in design. So you've got Neptune in the middle and you've got lots of water maidens and then you've got lots of monads and satires all around the edge. Um, Faunus Pan is just here, and Bacchus is here with his teacher, Selenus, bending down and offering Bacchus some grapes. The side dishes are just here, and it's actually the side dish, this particular one here, which has a very goaty pan. He's got his pipes there with a maenad and a deer at his feet, and it's actually that that particular piece which made me fall in love with Faunus. I saw the replica at Westow, Anglo-Saxon village, and I was hooked. I was in love. <laughs> so that particular piece was what drew me onto this magical quest. So some of the pieces with the Mildenhall treasure have some Christian imagery to it. Most notably, the spoons have Christian imagery engraved onto them. And it's worth wondering, because of the constant change of Christianity and paganism at this time, whether the owner of this piece started to see it also as a Christian piece and not a pagan piece. Uh, to justify Jesus and for people to convert to the Jesus movement, uh, he was very much associated with Pan and Faunus uh, being the Good Shepherd. So it wouldn't have been alien to the, the people to associate Faunus with Jesus. And just here, you have Selenus's head on a plinth. It's in the book, if you look at the big book, which actually there's a little, there's a little book which you can buy, or there's a big book, but the British Museum being fabulous, and it's actually in public access, so you can actually read the bigger, more in-depth one for free. Um, I think, uh, I forgot which website it is, I'll, I'll let Shifra know, so that everybody can access it. And in that book, it is described as a theatrical mask, but it's worth wondering to see or to muse whether the owner of this, because there's a dancing maenad right next to it, thought of it as John the Baptist's head. So he could use his anointing spoons with the Christian images on and still use his grand charger because it had Jesus and it had John the Baptist on, who was this wild and woolly saint 
which the imagery again you would much associate with with faunus and the dancing maenad could have turned into salome with her deadly dance so there are many other finds associated with faunus in norfolk i've just put a selection on here of some of my favorites so over here you have the wonderful very beardy very human faunus uh faunus i'll say faunus pan because um on the sites they class him as pan but again it's that mixture of the two mingling you know by this latter part of the roman empire faunus has turned into looking like pan so we have this one at Little Witchingham, this fabulous, very grumpy, I will say, he's a very grumpy one, one at Elsing, which is where the mermaid pub is, so it's a lovely watery, <laughs> watery aspect, and you sort of think of Bacchus Dionysus and his Ariadne from across the oceans. Maybe he's a bit grumpy because Bacchus got Ariadne and he didn't. <laughs> My favourite one here is the one at Kenninghall. Sort of quite close to Quidnam, and he's beautiful. He's very long in the face, really long, lovely goatee ears, marvellous horns. But also, there are many finds which are goats, usually associated with Mercury, uh, because the goat is one of Mercury's uh, sacred animals. But if you remember, in Greek mythology, Hermes is. Pan's father, so it wouldn't be unusual that maybe some mingling of Mercury's cultic objects turned into a cultic object of Faunus. And I've chosen two particular ones. Uh, one of them is this beautiful one here, which is Postwick again, very close by to where the lovely antlers, the votive antler was found and this one is actually quite a near eastern design looking goat. My other one which I really love, and he's got a very interesting sort of mottled metal effect on him and this one is from Flegborough and he's a lion down goat which is almost unheard of in the Romano-Celtic period, they're normally always standing up so a lion down one is quite unusual and he was found quite close by to this Ashby of Obi satire just here so the close proximity to a, a Bacchic faunus image to this goat sort of makes you wonder whether there's a bit of bit of mingling happening there I'll also point out as well as we're talking about other gods at Fison Way uh, in one of the uh, digs which were down, done there, a Yushabti figure was found. Now, Yushabtis are normally associated with Egypt. Um, it, it probably is um, Romano-Egyptian. Um, there's, there's no images which I've been able to find about it. But we do have a few Egyptian finds or sort of Egyptian-inspired Roman finds. There's a few faces Harpocrates, which have been found in Norfolk, and Harpocrates is the child Horus. And also there's been an Isis, a seated Isis with the child Horus found as well. And again, I think 
proof of that is only on like a Polaroid. When I spoke to somebody, she's like, only ever seen on a Polaroid photo. But if you think back again, I sort of mentioned this with uh, Egypt and Horus, because Pan has his shrine in Edfi, which is obviously sacred to Horus. So you're really seeing how these, these mystery cults, they're all mystery cults, sort of mingle and merge together. And one of the most amazing mystery cults, which I'll come to now, is the Hockwold one, which are these beautiful finds here. So Hockwold is just here. So again, Hockwold is literally on the Norfolk Suffolk border. It would be fully into Icani lands uh, when it was most in use. It was most in use uh, in the central centuries of the Roman occupation. Much work has been done here. Uh, pre, before they've done some fen work, during and afterwards, there is finds which are uh, Neolithic, Bronze Age axes. Um, but in 1962, they found a temple site to Kybeli and Attis. And it's worth wondering whether it is Kybeli and Pan, as you see that they are sometimes linked together in Greece. So in this site, there's these amazing headdresses here. Um, there's even more which you can see online. And they're quite uh, Middle Eastern in design. Uh, Kybeli is a, a Near East, Middle East and North African deity. And uh, she probably became, I would like to think that she probably became very popular in Norfolk as the Romans had to bow down to her. She was so great and so big that when the Romans were fighting the people who worshipped Kybele, the Libyan priestesses said, you have to worship Kybele if you want to win. And they did. They turned her into Kybele, Mater Magna, the Great Mother. So it's, one, it's a wonder whether the Icani people at this time, Boudicca would have come into being a folk hero, a folk memory, and whether they subversively loved Kybele because the Romans had to bow down to her, how they had to bow down to the <coughs> Romans. But Norfolk does seem to like its mystery cults. It is in Hockwold. Obviously, we had the urns, which were buried underneath the deer, red deer antlers, you get the deer brooches, lots of horse and rider brooches, there's, sil there's a silver cup hoard, there's a mercury statue, and there's these amazing cosmetic grinders, which are the most elaborate ones ever found in the UK. There is another one which uh, you can view at West there is an, uh, an image which is available publicly of it, but if you visit Westow, it's got beautiful antler deer one end, and the other end you have the beautiful bull. But these ones here are found, or well, now housed at the British Museum, and you have the beautiful bull one end, and you have the duck the other end, and a bull and a female bull. This is a close-up of the bull head which looks a bit deer-like, really. It's just got bull's horns. You've also got this amazing hand here, which is holding a pine branch with the pine acorns 
as well. So again we are going to jump across the water, across from Hockwold and we're going to go to Wixay and just where this wonderful little, little toad or little frog was found. Now we don't know whether it was an amulet, uh, whether it was a toy. Uh, the archaeologists have put the idea that it belonged to Sabaseus and he was a Thracian god. His cult again was a mystery cult and his hand is the hand of blessing which is what the Christians adopted later on. The symbolism which you find on his hands is the pine cone on his little finger thumb. Uh, it's either a pine cone, a hop or an orphic egg. He has a basilisk or a snake coming up from behind and normally you have snakes and lizards as well. There's normally a mother and child seated on the wrist or in the palm. Again, they think this could be associated with uh, Bacchus Dionysus and Ariadne. You see in the merging of the cults, so the Bacchus Dionysus was always thought of as a very exotic cult from the Near East, even in Greece. Uh, you have the ram or the bull, and you have Sabazaios himself with crescent horns. These are thought of to have been processed in poles. This one's actually in the British Museum. Uh, so, you know, I just sort of thought I'd introduce you to the fact that Norfolk has all these mystery cults. And it's it sort of uh, East Anglia, sort of Norfolk and Suffolk do have some of the earliest symbolism of Christian magic and imagery. Uh, which I'll go into now, sort of how fullness has survived to our time and some of the Christian magic associated with him. I've sort of said about John the Baptist and his shagginess appearance. I'll do this really quickly, don't worry, no, it's been quite long. <laughs> St Sylvanus and Sylvester. I've already said that Jesus was known as the Good Shepherd and he was the sacrificial lamb, so he is the heir of Tamus and Attis as being the God who dies to resurrect again. Psalm 23 says, Make, He maketh me lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me beside still waters. The pastures makes us think of fullness and the still waters are like his scrying pools we find on his hills and in his valleys. And I said I'd go back to the idea of India. Both Faunus and Pan go to India in the, in the, oh, don't think I can pronounce it actually, <laughs> in one of the, uh, the Greek stories they are dealt with separately and accompanying Dionysus, Bacchus Dionysus, to India so he gets accepted into the Olympian gods. Now he's normally riding a tiger, which represents his journey into India. And I've put this image here of him on his tiger, just because of how long memory and subconscious and amazing coincidences happen. We all remember King Richard being found under the R. Well, this wonderful Bacchus mosaic was found underneath where the East India Company started to build. <laughs> <laughs> their main base in London. 
now in the British Museum. <laughs> it was out in the open for ages. They sort of dug it up and put it out in the open, but it's now in the British Museum. <laughs> but I mentioned this to do with the Christian magic and the merging of all these mystery cults coming together. Uh, there's Thomason Christianity in India is where St. Thomas goes to India. And it's where these, this particular strand of Christians believe that Jesus' lost years were spent in India and in the Himalayas. And again, it's a mystery cult. Thomas was known as the twin. So it was like Dionysus and Faunus following together. You've got Jesus and you've got St. Thomas following together. And this particular strand of Christianity was very big on prophecy and magic. And in fact, it was such a threat to the Roman Catholics that they had all their books burnt. There's a few records, and some of it has survived in Orthodox Christianity, um, but a lot of their magical knowledge got burned because it was too powerful. It was too powerful and too similar to the Bacchic mysteries. But the St. Thomas Christians are still around today. They still try and hold on to some of their original teachings where male and female are equal, like Bacchus and Ariadne. So with another saint, which will lead us into a new visage of fullness, we have Saint Onophorus, who is the saint of the woodways. <laughs> so fullness takes his leap from the saints and into the churches as the woodways. Now the woodways, we do find several of them in Norfolk, probably most famously in the Ludden font, where there's also a female woodways, but he's on a misery cord in Norwich and in Spandrels and um, lots, of, lots of places in Norfolk. I did read uh, a blog the other day, which was a Suffolk blog, which said we only had one Woodwose. I'm like, we don't have one Woodwose. <laughs> I go past a pair nearly every week because they're <laughs> on the Kimberley sign. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so Thomas Woodwose, there's a beautiful stone plaque in the church, but also the Kimberley sign has two Woodwoses, uh, which you see each time. And interestingly, Woodwose Sometimes when you see them on the font pedestal, they're with lions. So again, it sort of harkens back a little bit to Dionysus and his tiger or panther. And you also find the wood roses in uh, medieval manuscripts. And it's where Alexander the Great is fighting the wood roses in India. And actually, Alexander the Great is also featured in the Mildenhall treasure. So again, it's that link of Bacchus, Dionysus, India, and leaping with fullness in tow with the Woodways. And actually the Latin name for Woodways in the Wycliffe Bible, Jeremiah 50:39, if you want to have a look, is Faunus Ficarus. In folklore, Faunus in his greenery and forest aspect we find in the Green Knight and also in that great epic Beowulf. I would like to propose, not obviously in Beowulf, but I would like to propose that Grendel, he gets really grumpy 
with his really noisy neighbours, you know. It's all right if you're having your own party, you don't mind the noise. Somebody else having a party. No, 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 this cannot be. <laughs> he gets so angry that he goes into the hall and he rips and he maims all the party goers and all the knights who are in there. So it makes you wonder whether there is some folk memory of Faunus and Bacchus and his Maenads, because Maenads are sometimes in literature said to be in such a frenzy they will tear limbs off people. So it makes you wonder whether it's a memory of Beowulf and his mother, sorry, Grendel and his mother and Faunus and his companion. Now you might sort of think that's a bit far-fetched really. But folk memory is quite amazing. We all know John Barleycorn, he's in our folk memory now. He actually comes from Bure. Yeah, he's an Anglo-Saxon god, so he has survived. So there's no reason why a Romano-Celtic god couldn't survive into the Anglo-Saxon period. In folklore, we have a word which is used for will-o'-the-wisps and jack-o'-lanterns which is Fatus, and Fatus is also one of the titles given to Faunus, and it means foolish fire, because it's foolish to follow those will-o'-the-wisps. And if we take one of those goat leaps, we put on those hooves of Faunus, and we, link, we jump across into Lincolnshire, which part of Lincolnshire was part of the Iconi land, and we land into Lincoln Cathedral, who should we see but the Lincoln Imp cheekily smiling down at us? I sometimes wonder whether that is Faunus smiling down. In folklore, there are obviously other hills associated with the devil, sort of digging nearby and making mounds. In King's Lynn, there was the devil's ally, alley, and there used to be a hoof print on there. And also, thanks to the lovely station, <laughs> he taught me, which I never knew, in the lovely newsletter, that the Perseids were sometimes thought of as Priapus fertilising the fields. I love that. I think that's like the best explanation of that meteor shower. And we do find Priapus statues in Norfolk. We find them in Billingford, Belbrig and Skull. And you do find some more examples in Essex. So leaving from folklore, it leads us to the all-elusive Bigfoot. I am a believer. I do believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> and it makes me wonder whether the woodwows are not only just a depiction of faunus coming down into folklore, but whether it could be of Bigfoot or, or his kin in stone form. The spirit and guardian of the forest is so much part of our psyche that we need to make space for this deity somewhere in our lives. So Bigfoot abounds. So where have they been seen? They're not just America. There's Elfden, the one which was brown and grey, was on all fours and then suddenly stood up. On the A1075, the road which is the Thetford to East Retton, East Retham of Field of Bones fame. In June 1986, a grey-white one was seen on all fours 
and then raised up onto two and it's just six to eight foot tall, very tall indeed. Uh, in 2007, a darker in colour but one was also spotted. And this road's actually quite close to where I live, so we always have a look. <laughs> and actually, East Retton has a lovely sort of horn association as well, because the field which is there, if you ever seen East Retton uh, sign, it's got a witch and it's also got a ram. And the ram used to be released into the field in the last field to be harvested, and whoever caught it, keep it so it's almost like the sacrificial ram so again we've got bigfoot and rams in the same area right going back to the 70s 1979 in on the a1066 snare hill in thetford so the other side of thetford uh somebody saw a bear but could it be a bear or could it be a bigfoot there is i can't remember where it was now but there's also a case of like a polar bear jumping from train to train. So part of me sort of wondering what on earth was going on there. <laughs> <laughs> and more recently in Mulbarton in 2022, a 1.8 metre shaggy dog was seen. But is it again like Bigfoot being on all fours and then standing up onto two? So yes, as I said, I live close by to the 1075. And uh, one Norfolk writer called me a pingo lander. So if you know what a pingo is, you know where I live. <laughs> and in that church there, there are three beautiful green men faces. And the wonderful Imogen Ashwin has sort of said maybe that each one represents a different type of intoxication happening. Because there's different leaves of each face. There's different types of intoxication, which again leads to the fullness and prophecy, and also the Bacchic rites. Interestingly, if you're a pingo lander, you'll quite regularly see black pheasants. And also, interestingly, I've also seen a black goat there, which belonged to nobody apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you could not find who it who belonged to, could we? <laughs> so, and that particular corner always has black animals. There was a black dog there once, but it did have a human attached to him, and he wasn't (laughs) screaming, so I think that was all right. (laughs) We will go on to, before I finish, I know, so I'm so long, a bit of folk magic. I did say I'd add a bit of folk magic. So if you get a pan or a faunus statue, you you can buy these puck ones rather cheaply on eBay. And I use mine by feeding it. So if it's particularly dry or I want something to grow, it's in a bowl and I feed it with water. And my one, the water always goes. It never leaves one of those water stains on him or anything. It just miraculously just disappears. He likes his water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not just wine. Uh, you can also link in imp candlesticks. are very, very handy for wealth and success magic two's best so you like two at either end but one will also work but also if you like scrying and but you also use your scrying mirror for everyday use as well what you could do is you could put your candlestick next to it and when it's lit that's when it is used for a magical purpose but if you want to do something which doesn't involve buying anything, you know, you just want to do a bit of, bit of scrying, you know, it's full moon, why not? A lovely thing to do is get a bowl of water, sort of steaming water, 
and take it out outside into the garden or have it near the balcony and put a sacred herb or faunus in. So you could have like gorse, kissing is always in fashion and gorse is in blossom. The wonderful pine tree or the mugwort to help you with those prophetic visions. You can of course, that's the end of this, but of course you can ask me questions, but I'll ask you a question back. But with fullness, what is possible? Thank you.